Welcome to the Healing Courageously podcast, where we engage in open, honest, and healthy conversation about everything from addiction, abuse, and recovery to marriage, family, and spirituality. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Our goal is that you will find a new way of living as you look closer at yourself in these areas of your life, which will lead to a happier and healthier you. Now here's your host, Randy Boyd. Greetings, and welcome to this week's episode of Healing Courageously. On this episode, we are going to continue our conversation on spirituality, specifically the legacy of spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse, out of all the abuses that happened to me personally, is probably the most far-reaching and damaging abuse that happened to me. Yeah, the sexual abuse was bad, the physical abuse was bad, the emotional abuse was bad. But I've worked through most of those issues, and I have tools today to deal with those as they arise, which they don't arise that much anymore. But I've learned that I am worth a worthy cause, a worthy man. I am worthy of love. I'm lovable. I'm all that. It took a lot of work with a lot of really strong mentors. However, over the last couple of years, I, I've just... I've told my wife that, you know, it seems to me like the spiritual abuse is the one that's really got me down because I've got such a critical eye and a discerning spirit. And as a pastor, sometimes that that works for you. And other times, you know, in my case, I I see everything that, in my eyes, man, why are they doing it this way? It just doesn't, it seems like it's doing more harm than good. I admit that openly and I'm working on it um, every day. And I'm getting much better at it. It's just the way it is. God's in control and Randy's not. And I've got to remember that always. So spiritual abuse is actually, probably a lot of people don't understand it. They probably don't even know what it is. They probably don't ever look at it. But I want to tell you that in, 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 the, in the same way that our sexual abuse can be devastating because it leaves us leaves a child no safe physical space to go to heal from the trauma, the spiritual abuse denies the victim any soul-based solace. Those are really important things that I want you to hear. That the sexual abuse can be devastating because it leaves the child no safe physical space to go to heal from the trauma. Our home is supposed to be a safe spot. Period. We're supposed to be able to go home, get away from the world, sit down with mom and dad or brothers or sisters. We're supposed to have a, a home that is safe. That, that we're learning in, parents that are nurturing, okay, that are, that are teaching us the ins and outs of life, that are telling us when people are making fun of us, hey, it, it, don't worry about it, man, it's just what people do, you know, and, and you know, today's parents, well, you know, you just got to hit them back or just come, come back with names worse than what, you, what they call you, and that's not the right thing to do. So my therapist told me that people are going to hurt you, they're going to let you down, they're going to betray you, and they're going to break your trust, and that's just the nature of people. But our home shouldn't be like that. And you especially shouldn't be getting abused in your own home by born-again Christian parents. And I, by parents, I mean mother and stepfather. My, my, my father, my blood father, biological father, died when I was 12. He was 32. Okay? So in the same way that, that there's no physical space for it, spiritual abuse denies the victim any soul-based solace. And it's the same thing. Who are you going to trust? Most most survivors 
and they say all most survivors really struggle with God. And, and, and the main reason is, well, number one, how can a God that's supposed to be loving, kind, and caring allow this to happen? And you know, which I understand. Believe me, I was there for 38 years. But on on, on the other hand, you want me to believe in this God that's up supposedly up in heaven, right? And I can't see him, I can't smell him, I can't touch him, but he's gonna forgive me. He's gonna meet all my needs. He's gonna love me unconditionally. I can I can lean on him and I can lean on nobody else. But yet my real father right here on earth that I sit next next to at the dinner table every night didn't do any of any of those things to me. The father that's supposed to be the you know a father like Christ was, or like God was to Christ. Not perfect. Human beings are perfect. They're infallible. We're going to make mistakes. That's fine. But we can't keep doing them over and over and over again. So it really does a lot. of And, and, and I've sat with guys unprovoked, and they've come up with that exact statement right there. Just almost verbatim what I've said, and I never said it to them before. So set, the spiritual abuse is something we got to be really careful of. When sexual abuse and spiritual abuse are combined, the results then are, are, are crushing. They can be excruciatingly crushing. Because then, then we have no, no solace at home. We have no solace in a God that's supposed to be loving, kind, and taking care of us. But yet, these parents or this, my aunt and uncle or my grandma or somebody's supposed to be our caregivers that I'm supposed to feel safe with that, that quote that they're Christians and believe in God or whatever, whatever they're believing in, but yet they're, they're beating me physically, emotionally, spiritually, and, and worst of all, they're, they're sexually abusing me. So we've got to be really careful. And I speak up about this because nobody else does. It's a hush-hush thing amongst the world. Don't say nothing about sexual abuse in the home. And generally a victim of sexual abuse, when they speak up, gets gets told, well, you're lying. They get punished for saying it. They get slapped around, or you asked for it, or you deserved it. It's like, come on. So we have to be very, very careful when it comes to sexual abuse. Okay. Whenever I was in church or participating in church activities, my mother and my stepfather were model Christians. Whenever I or, 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 or they or us together were, were, were participating in any kind of church activity, they could do no wrong in anybody's eyes. They had the world fooled. The minute, the minute we crossed that door, it was a whole other story. And on the out, but again, on the outside, the fam our family appeared to be, in all appearances, the perfect leave of the beaver family, which the reality is, they don't exist. I mean, I lived in Dana Point. I grew up in Dana Point. Moved there when I was 12, right after my father died. Lived on the beach. Was at the beach, you know, every weekend and then summer almost every day. Every chance I could get, I was at the beach surfing as I got older. We had a nice house, nothing, nothing spectacular, but it was, it was a nice middle-income house. We were all well-groomed, well-dressed, and went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. 
My mother was a member of the choir. My stepfather, as I said, he was a deacon of our small community church. So on the outside, you, you looked at us, and how can anything be wrong? I mean, I, I can remember saying something one time about Jack's physical abuse. And I couldn't get three words out. And they said, no, 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 you're, you're talking about somebody else. That's not what Jack does. You're lying to us. I mean, it was devastating. This was from somebody within the church. But for a while, in many ways, I enjoyed being part of the church's youth group. And for a while, the group was good for me because I was I was a part of something. It was kind of like that escape for the one hour I was in there. Or the times we'd go to South Coast Plaza or, or, or Fashion Island and with all the youth group. And, and i played the guitar. We'd go sing Christmas choirs. Or a bunch of the kids from youth group would go out miniature golfing. Because it was those times that I really did feel safe, loved, and accepted. And plus the bonus for any teenage boy, there was a lot of girls. You know, and I, I enjoyed being around the girls. It was fun. Even on the nights, though, that I spent peacefully watching TV and, and playing our pawn, now, for those of you that are a bit younger, might not, not, might not have ever heard of Pong, but that's the very first video game that ever came out on TV. It was a big ping pong, big, huge ping pong paddle. It just was very slow. And maybe it got a little faster. That's what we had for entertainment. So, you know, even even playing Pong or, or doing my homework, there was always the underlying fear, always this underlying fear that something bad could happen at any moment. And that's no way for a child to live. So, so for the, you know, it's really critical that and most of this all is happening as a result of a generational curse handed down from family to family to family. It's called learned behavior. It's it's it's. It's right like 99.9% of the time if you start looking at the, uh, ge- the genealogy of a family, the genogram. Abuse for abuse in the family of a victim pretty much ran, runs rampant. You know, my mother and my stepfather used to get these, this counseling by our, by our pastor. And his his counseling room was his 1972 blue Maverick, you know, with this with a not not the hatchback, but the, it looked like a Mustang almost two door. And what he would do typically is he he'd come over to the to our house and come in, you know, he'd come in and say hi. And he would chit chat with everybody for a while and just you know just conversate, just converse with the whole family. See how we were all doing. And one night he came over and. Did that, his normal, his normal routine, and then he got up to go out to his car with my stepfather, and he, he said, Judy, which is my mother, you stay here, and Randy, I want you to come out with us. And I, my, uh, my heart sunk. I go, man, what is happening? When we, got it, when we got in the car, I was in the back seat, and I felt trapped because it was only, only two door. And, and my stepfather was on the passenger side. The pastor was on the, on the driver's side. They had their arm on the seat. They both turned around looking at me. And even as I speak, I can see their faces and if, uh, the anger that I had. And I, I mean, anyways, Dick, Dick, the pastor, he, he goes on to say that, you know, hey, Jack's been talking to me about what's been going on between the two of you. I just sank. I mean, I was overcome with so much shame. 
All I wanted to do was disappear, you know, um, just disappear. And I felt also at the same thing that there was a tiny spark of hope that I was finally going to get the help I had been craving for the past three years, ever since I was 12 years old. So this is 15, three years this has been going on already. Then the pastor, in his wisdom, infinite wisdom, he turned back to me and he says, I just want to tell you, Randy, it's part of growing up natural and normal. And it doesn't mean that you will be gay. Man, I, I mean, I just saw it. I, if, if I could have killed them both, honestly, and I say this, you know, I've forgiven everybody. It's been a long time since that happened. I would have. What he did is he just condoned what my stepfather Jack had been doing to me. He just condoned it. And it got worse afterwards. I can just remember Jack looking at me with this big smirk on his face. It's like, oh, you, you didn't. And I, and I can tell you, you know, as bad as I wanted to run, I couldn't because I was trapped. And what happened after that night was, now, this is a pastor, right, that's supposed to be protecting his sheep. But what that did was after that night, the abuse continued to get worse. Because, like I said, the pastor, in a sense, unbeknownst to him, had just condoned and co-signed what Jack was doing. This is a perfect example of why people who haven't been through this situation should never, ever, ever Try to help a victim of sexual abuse. You have no business doing it. You have to have specific training, number one. And sometimes that specific training isn't the best. But better yet, if you, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, when your own house is in order, the answers will come. You cannot transmit something you haven't got. Right? And so I've helped a lot of men. And, and the, the reason I can help them, and, and they've told me, Many therapists have done more damage to them than done good. And, and the reason they, they come to me and the reason we talk and then once we start talking, I continue to help them is because they can relate to me. Because I have walked in their shoes. I'm not them. I don't know exactly how they feel. I can never do that because I'm not them. But I have walked literally in their shoes. And the most important part is I have walked out of those shoes through recovery. And I've been doing it for 14 years, and I keep on learning. That's the biggest difference. Academic alone is not going to help a sexual abuse survivor come to the full understanding and the full healing that one, one wants. Believe me, I've seen it countless times. And I know I'm going to ruffle a lot of feathers right with that comment, and I don't care. Because I'm tired of seeing victims being re-victimized because therapists don't know how to deal with them properly. Okay, my rant's over with. Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't, couldn't help it there. But you know what? After I did get out of the car, I can remember I headed straight to my bedroom. Straight to my bedroom, and I was avoiding eye contact with, with my mother, trying to be invisible as possible, and then not only to her, but also to myself. And as I sat on the edge of my bed, I can remember I thought of all the things I wish I would have asked. But mainly... If it's a part of growing up, then why does it have to be kept a secret? If it's a part of growing up, 
Why does it have to be kept a secret? Why don't we go in the house right now and tell my mother what's happening? What's if, if somebody's doing something to you and they say, don't tell nobody, this is our secret, you tell somebody. If what somebody's doing to you is okay, why do you have to keep it a secret? And I've asked that in, at, at colleges, at high schools, I've asked parents, and their jaws just drop. If somebody's doing something to you, that's okay to be done to you, i.e. sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, name-calling, whatever it is, why must you keep it a secret? Think about that. Just quit worrying about the other people that are damaging you and start worrying about yourself. Because there's not a lot of people out there that are going to take care of you. And I know, again, it's a hard subject to talk about, but we have to to start standing up for the victims of sexual abuse. Period. In a conversation, it can no longer be swept underneath the rug. For sexual, physical, emotional, or even spiritual abuse. Okay? We have to stand up for it. The secrets are what it stays in this house, stays in the, what's, what is said in this house, stays in this house. No, it doesn't. If it's okay, why do I got to keep it in the house? Why can't I be talking to my friends about how wonderful it is living in here? You know, I, I was never told that. The one, I talked to my friends just try to get attention, something that somebody that loved me. So if it's okay, and it's a part of growing up, then why does it have to be kept a secret? Now, this is from a spiritual leader. And, and remember that, Maybe your parents are or aren't in church, but our parents are considered spiritual leaders. They're responsible for us. They're responsible for our well-being. A pastor is, is responsible for his flock. I'm responsible for all the people that I, that I mentor and coach. My wife and I are responsible for all the couples that we coach. Because we're taking them out of a place of darkness. And pull them into the light. They're doing the work and we're just a vessel of God. But it, it's a lot of stuff on our shoulders. And we love it. Absolutely love it. Parents who abuse their children spiritually often pass down a legacy of spiritual abuse. Remember that pretty much all abuses. It's a, it's a generational thing. It's learned behavior passed down from family to family, from generation to generation to generation. My mother's family was was Southern Baptist, very dark family, very dark side of the family. A lot of alcoholism, a lot of abuse of all types. And I'm sure the spiritual abuse was just running rampant in that family. So it's not just, it's just not happening to you right now with this particular person or family or, or, or parents. It's, it's, a long, it's longer than that. It's a long string of abuse, of all kinds of abuse that have happened in your family. But anytime we're doing any kind of abuse to a, a child or teenager or, or even our, our, our partners in life as adults, it's, we're spiritually abusing them according to the way God wants us to teach. Um, I'm sorry. The way God wants us to love our, 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 our children and our spouses and even our neighbors. So we've got to be really careful. We've really got to start thinking about these things. 
Because spiritual abuse is often less talked about. That's the other thing. It's often less talked about than male sexual abuse or female abuse, sexual abuse. Many people don't even recognize it as abuse. Well, he's the pastor, and what he says goes. That's what happened in the Catholic Church with catechism. That priest is God according to the parents, so he can do no wrong. You just listen to what he tells you to do, you do it, and don't say a word. And how many kids, thousands of kids, have been sexually abused in the Catholic Church? Sexual abuse is rampant in the whole world. In some, in some, in some uh, areas, it's like, it's accepted. The semen islands, it's a way of passing through uh, into manhood. Uh, the, the, the boys are supposed to consume massive amounts of semen. The bo- young boys, when they pass into to, to manhood, are supposed to consume massive amounts of semen, either annually or orally. I, check it out. It's research. It's in my book. I, I go, man, that's ultimate sexual abuse. But to them, it's not. To them, it's part of life, which is sad. You know, I would just wonder if anybody's ever really talked to him about it and found out how the kids felt. You know, was it humiliating or has it been practiced for so many years and by so many people that it just, well, it just is what it is. And I think that happens a lot in our country as well. You know, to, to those parents or, or, or the family members that don't even recognize that as abuse, it's just kind of like, well, we were brought up that way. And so because, because of this, the spiritual abusers often see no harm in what they're doing. It's the same thing. Well, it happened to me when I was growing up, and I'm just fine. <laughs> yeah, well, those people that say, I'm just fine, I looked at them, and they're not so fine if you look around and look at your family. You, you know, you can, you can look good on the outside, but once you find out what's behind the veil, yeah, are you really that good? As in my case, parents often spiritually abuse their children out of their own frustration and lack of knowledge of proper parenting skills. Think about that. Again, it's a learned behavior. Generational curses. How were they taught to parent? How were they taught to love? Or were they taught to love? It's handed down from generation to generation to generation. So it's not their fault, but yet it is their fault. What it is, is their responsibility to break the generational curse. But how are they supposed to break a generational curse when they don't even know what they're doing is not right? Which is, it happens all the time. I can, I can remember two years into my marriage, I was walking with my wife. It was back in like 19, I don't know, 80, 88, I think it was, 86, somewhere around there. And, and I was whining about something that happened to me when I was a teenager. I was pretty much laying dead on the ground one day and from a motorcycle accident. And I told my wife, Kathy, I said, you know, why, Kathy, why didn't God just take me? Why didn't he just take me that day that I was already dead on the ground? And, and before I could finish the thought in my sentence, the answer came, he says, because you're going to break the cycle of abuse in your family and in multiple families. Wow. Okay. I guess that's what I got to look forward to. Well, I didn't know it was going to be, you know, 30-some years later and before I'd be doing it, but it doesn't matter. God had to teach me a whole lot of things in order to do what I'm doing. 
the hardest part of dealing with spiritual abuse is that most of the time, parents truly believe that they are doing what is best for their child. I th- my, my feeling is, is, well, there's a lot to do with the Bible, and they do feel that they're doing the best for the child, again, because it was done for them. And maybe they're not doing it as severely to, to their child as was done to them, but it's learned behavior. They don't understand the long-term ramifications of their actions. And that's the key to it. Well, he'll get over it. Listen to me, please. You don't just get get over it. Some people do. I'm not going to argue that point. Some people can get over it really quick. They move on. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. But there's a lot of people out there that don't just move on. Right? Because sometimes this kind of abuse goes on for years. And that's the part that you just can't get over. Because if it's happening over and over and over and over again on a regular basis, then you start believing what's being told to you. And that in itself is manipulation. That is the power. That Abuse is it's just having power, whether it's sexual, physical, emotional, or spiritual. It's just having that power over your victims to manipulate or coerce them to get them to think or believe the way you think and believe. See, that's another problem in this world is that Nobody knows how to believe for themselves because they've been told all their life how they should believe instead of being able to re, uh, uh, research out all the, all the sides and all the answers and then make their own mind up. It's, 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 it's a messed up that way. And I'm going to go off on that one, sorry. Frustrated parents like my, like my mother and my stepfather, they, they constantly quoted scripture or spiritual teachings in an effort to control me. So often, parents will often quote scriptures or, or, or spiritual teachings to control, to, in an effort to control them, to control their kids. I grew up, and there were two scriptures in particular that became ingrained in me, absolutely ingrained in me. The first was, honor your mother, honor your father and mother, and your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Exodus twenty twelve. I got to tell you, that scripture kept me stuck and angry until very, re- well, until a couple of years ago. Probably, well, it actually kept me stuck and angry until about probably seven or eight years ago when I finally started doing my work and forgiving. But the question is, how is it possible to honor your father and mother when they are not doing honorable things to you? It's a very legitimate question. You know, because respect, honor, and trust are not are not um, just given to you. They're earned. Period. They're earned. So, yeah, many parents will defend their abusive actions by quoting scripture, especially passages that are backed up with words of fear about a punishing God, and that being one of them. So, then, Randy. Answer the question, how do you abide by that, that scripture? Well, here's how I abide by it. My mother and stepfather were extremely toxic. They were they were the farthest thing from Christians in my eyes that exist. Right? So I got to the place of forgiveness. And true I truly forgave them. Right? So I honor them. And respect them by no longer assassinating their character. 
what they did to me was terrible. It was wrong. It was wrong on all levels. It hurt me, right? I struggled for many years. And, I, and at one, there's points where I did, I wanted to assassinate somebody. Not their, not just their character, but them. God tells me I got to love, I got to forgive, and I got to love everybody. So I've done that. So I honor them by not assassinating their character anymore. Do I talk about them? Yes, because they're part of my story. I use, I use their name, yes, because I've been told I can. Because the truth is the truth. So I honor them by not assassinating them anymore. I honor them by, if I was to see them, I would still say hi. And I don't, I don't have to tell them I love them. I just, I just love them the way Christ would. By respecting them at that moment in time. It's all it takes is a passion. I saw my mother at my, my daughter's wedding several years ago. And I walked right up to her and said, hi. And she goes, who are you? She didn't even know who I was. That's sad. So we just, our part, like I tell her, we keep your side of the street clean. That's all you got to do. Keep your side of the street clean and you'll be good. Honor them by not assassinating. Don't be talking bad about them. And you'll be fine. The second scripture that my mother, Jack, and even our pastor lived by was, Do not withhold discipline from my child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Punish them with a rod and save them from death. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. To have religion used as a justification for beatings I endured left deeper scars on me than all of Jack's rods, belts, and fists. To this day, I do not believe with one ounce of my soul that love had anything to do with the beatings I endured by my stepfather's hands. The only way I can understand Jack's behavior is that he may have beaten me in order to excise his own self-hatred. Whatever his reasons, though, whatever, conscious or unconscious, this beating me and justifying it with religion only pushed me further away from the church and God. It wasn't really until uh, about probably six years ago that my psycho spiritual scars started to heal. Believe it or not, when one of my psychology professors explained the staff passage to the class like this, I want you to really think about this. The shepherd uses a staff, okay, to gently guide his sheep back onto a path, safe path. If they start to wander off, he simply guides them back with a nudge from his staff. He doesn't beat them, for if he did, they will only run away. And the rod was used to ward off the, the coyotes, the wolves, the bears, whatever coming after his sheep. The nook of the staff, if one was getting out too far, he would just gently reach out and grab it and pull it back into the, into the flock. If one left, he'd leave the 99, go get the one. And when he got the one, he'd throw him over his shoulder and he'd walk back to the flock, walk back into camp, and they'd have a big party that night for the one sheep that they found. I trained, I, I, I trained dogs and I've had some Springer Spaniels that were, that were professionally trained. And this, this, this dog trainer 
Pat Callahan, he's passed away. He, he, was, he said something one day that was just mind-boggling. He says, Randy, he says, we don't punish your dogs. We don't, we don't even, we ignore them when they make a mistake. But what? Yeah, he goes, we ignore them. He goes, the dogs, if you beat them, they're going to be, they're going to run away from you. We can't sit there and beat the dogs and whip the dog. They're going to run. You want them to come when you when you blow the whistle. You want them to come when you call them. And if you're training them by using force, by beating them, smacking them around, you're defeating the whole purpose. He goes, look at the kids in the world today. They want attention. That's all they want. They just want attention. It doesn't matter what kind of attention it is. So they get the, they get the negative attention. By doing stupid stuff, shooting up schools. It's more stupid, but shooting up schools, so on and so forth. A dog wants attention, negative or, 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 or positive. And that dog will do whatever it takes to get that kind of attention. My dogs love me. It sounds weird. My dogs love me, and they do pretty much whatever I ask them to do because I don't have to hit them. My children love me because I treat them with love, kindness, and respect. My grandchildren adore me because I'm not mean. I don't have to be mean. I just have to be loving accepting and tolerant so if, if, you, if you want somebody to do the right things do teach them with love let them have a little bit of rope and I understand when they're younger you got to be more careful but as teenagers they're going to do what they're going to do just be there to support them no matter what happens you know, like I said, I, I, I've raised three children, and not once have I laid a hand on any of them. And there has been absolutely no legacy of abuse in my family when it comes to spiritual and uh, physical and, and sexual. Emotional, yeah. I, I, I emotionally t- terrorized my family one too many times. So All three of my children have become very respectful and respectful adults in the community. They've all got great jobs. They're all, two of them are married. They've got kids. They love their dad. They love their mom. They love being around us. Um, they respect us. And look, I wasn't a perfect dad. I'm, I'm 14 years clean and sober. I was an alcoholic. And, but I didn't take, I didn't take out until the last five years, I loved my kids, and, and I was always there for them. And I was still always there for them, even through the end, but my behavior got really bad. And it really hurt me when I would talk to my kids afterwards. And they said, Dad, we didn't know who was going to come home at night, even if you hadn't been drinking. And that's that's spiritual abuse in itself. Right? Children are, they're supposed to, like I said, they're supposed to feel safe in their, hand, in their home. They're supposed to feel safe with their parents. And those last three, four, five years of, of of my drinking career, you know, when all the anger from my past was coming up, I was far from that. You know, they, they didn't know. They, my daughter would see me going off and she'd ride me, run hide behind my son. And I was, it wasn't that dim. It wasn't that nobody in particular. I would just come home and be pissed off at the world and the whole house would hear about it, you know. What I do finally understand, though, is that neither the Bible nor God advocates child beating and i'm telling you one thing i wanted to do when i started getting back into this i wanted to go into the bible and i wanted to research stuff about abusing kids and there's a lot in there and i would not want to be somebody abusing kids i just would not 
it, it, it's, the, the results are not going to be good. I can tell you that right now. You just, it's, it's quite eye-opening. So, um, all that that I was told that, that you know, that advocates the child beating was just twisted representation passed to me by hurt people. That's all it was. Even my pastor was hurt. I mean, I knew my mother and stepfather were extremely hurt. My pastor the same way. You know, I have a pastor as a kid growing up that you look up to and, you know, the family and so on and so forth. They seem like kind of untouchable. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to preface by saying this by, you know, I, I don't care what a person does with their life, with their money and their lifestyle. That, that, that's none of my business. If you make the money and you live a good life, have what you want, man. But what's your, what's your motive behind it? And I got no problem with that. And the, the thing, one of the things towards the end that really got me with this is, and this is another form of abuse, is that you got to kind of look at it weird. But our pastor was building a house up in, in, uh, in Capistrano Beach, up on a hill. And they were, back at that time, I think they were, this is back in the 80s, they were up to $250,000, $500,000 mark, I think, somewhere around there. Okay, cool. Not a problem, man. You earned it. It's your house. Have fun, right? And then in the backyard, he put a full-size tennis court. Hey, have at it, man. You earned it. It's your house. It's your life. Do it. And an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It's like, hmm, all right, well, you know what? You have that right. But he didn't buy one. He bought two houses up there. Okay, fine. Not a problem. And I have, don't have a problem with it. Here's where the problem comes in. He hid it from his entire congregation. Don't tell nobody. We were doing a lot of work up there. Thing. Don't tell anybody that I, that I live up here. Don't let anybody know where I live. That's not right. That's not right. He wasn't that popular and famous of a, of a, of, of a pastor that he has to worry about somebody coming after him, you know, in, in a lethal way. But he just didn't want nobody where he lived. He didn't want to see, he didn't want anybody to see the way he was living. Dude, it's your job. It's your church. Enjoy your life. What are you teaching everybody else? Secrets and lies. It's a form of abuse. Secrets and lies. It's it, it's terrible way to terrible way to live. What I what I've learned to understand is that people's hypocrisy and misuse of power is not God's doing. So all the abuse that happens, you know, and, and people, and hear me out. I should have said this at the beginning. I want I want to tell you something. Please hear me out. God does not abuse us in any way, shape, or form. I've been accused of saying that God does that, and God does not. I've never said it. I never will. God gives man free will. And God is a gentleman, and he will not interfere. I, believe me, he, he, he might interfere in a real subtle way as he did with me, because I'm here when a couple nights, according to what my, my brother told me, if I wasn't there, he would have killed you then the way he was beating you. So God always intervenes to keep me safe because he had a plan for me. Maybe he's not doing it for somebody you know, and I, and I can't answer for that. All I know is my story. Right? But God uses, I'm sorry, not God. The, the devil uses parents, grandparents, pastors, whoever he can, whoever he can, to turn that person or a person against God. And he does a really good job of it. 
really good job. So we have to stay strong as 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 a as a Christian community. We can't be misrepresentation of the Bible or God. And so many people are doing that. All I can tell you in closing is that when, when I was a child, the message I received was that God was definitely not on my side. God was definitely not on my side. So I hope you guys got something out of that on this episode. We're going to continue next week with more on uh, on spiritual abuse. I think it's a very, very important topic. A lot of people are engaged in it uh, around me. They, they like hearing about it. They, it gives them a better understanding of where they're at. So I'm hoping you're getting something out of this. Be sure to join me next week uh, where I'll continue or on the next episode, I'm sorry, in the next episode where we'll continue this this conversation on spirituality. Hey, do me a favor, please. Ch- check out our website, thecourageousheelers.org, courageousheelers.org. And if God puts it on your heart, we need donations, contributions. We're, we're a 501c3 uh, corporation, so all your, your donations will be tax deductible. I just... Um, we're trying to not try. We're working on growing the foundation. We're working on developing more workshops and more studies and so on. So any amount will do, whether it's a five dollar donation, ten, fifteen, twenty. I mean, five dollars to five thousand to fifty. It does. We appreciate it all. Just go to the courageousheelers.org website. Hit the hit, uh, hit the donate button, and then you can either give a one time donation or you can set yourself up for a monthly donation to come out of your bank card or credit card, whatever you want. We would really appreciate any kind of help we can get on this. Also um, visit my life coach page and life coach page, change your life story. Now.com change your life story. Now.com. My wife and I, we do marriage counseling. We do addiction. We do abuse, inner healing and spiritual. With the marriage counseling, I'm I am what they call Simba certified. So it's save your life, save your marriage before it starts. We've used it on pre-marriage counseling. We've used it for married couples, and it's it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, it's like 99.9 percent accurate. Not psychological tests. It actually tells you how you guys are aligned with things like money, uh, doing house chores your health, all sorts of stuff. It's really, really, really worth taking and, and going through it with Kathy and I. So feel free to check out the website, changeyourlifestorynow.com. I have three different, um, besides the marriage counseling, we have, I have three different packages you can, you can purchase if you like. Also, I, my wife and I, we do weddings. On the smaller weddings, I, I, I do the wedding itself, and my wife can help with the wedding coordination. Um, if it's a really big wedding, that'd be something different, but either size for me, myself, I do, I do do weddings. So we can look, you can look us up there for the pre-marriage counseling and, and, the, and the ceremony itself. Hey, remember you can get my book healing the wounded child within on Amazon and it's in paperback. It's on Kindle. It's an audio book. You can also get my 30 day devotional to wholeness and my seven-day challenge workbook that goes with my Healing the Wounded Child on Amazon as well. So I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. I will see you on the next episode. And remember this, if nobody tells you they love you today, remember that Randy does. But more importantly, God does. Be blessed, everybody. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.